happy Friday, Soulmates. We have a great conversation in store for we you sure today on this February 10th. That conversation includes students walking out of the class in the name of equality and some shocking test results from the Baltimore school system. Welcome to Fox Hills Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm the Cordelai Corte. We're also following California's new marijuana laws, plus the countdown to Rihanna's Super Bowl performance. It's the stories that impact our people. Indeed, we're gonna continue to bring you our news, our views, and our voice. So, topping today's headlines, let's go to Alabama, where students at Hillcrest High School in Tuscaloosa County are coming together to protest their school's controversial Black History Month program. Students say the administration is refusing to teach key parts of Black History Month, like the civil rights movement and slavery. They claim that the school refused to allow a student-run Black History program to teach historical moments that occurred before the 1970s, including slavery, the civil rights movement, and the Black Panthers movement. Now, hundreds of Hillcrest High Schoolers protested outside of the school campus, demanding for the topics to be covered in this course. In Ohio, a Bexley Middle School teacher was placed on administrative leave after a racist image appeared behind two students reading morning announcements. According to the school district, the image appeared on a screen behind the two student anchors. It showed an orangutan eating a watermelon immediately after a historical fact was read about Black History Month. Now, the video announcements are recorded before they're shown. The district did not say if anyone watched the video before it aired, but the teacher who supervises the morning announcements was put on leave. A letter was sent to Bexley family after the incident apologizing to families. Now, Courtney, we are barely a week into the month of February mm -hmm. and we're already seeing White History Month trending on Twitter. Mm -hmm. We're seeing high school students wearing blackface and mocking slavery because it's February and school lunch menus being changed to fried chicken, waffles and watermelon mm -hmm. in so-called honor of Black History Month. Can you believe this? Uh, I actually can. And uh, I think it, uh, you know, leads credence to the fact that we are unfortunately um, still a very divided uh, country. There are still those who, you know, choose to believe the way they believe that keeps things, uh, you know, in conflict, very divisive. Um, and what's so disturbing is that is the it is the young, young people. You almost, almost expect it from, you know, older generations, but obviously this kind of behavior is being passed on and is being perpetuated and you know, in some areas accepted, if you will, um, you know, when it comes to these young people, I, you know, w what are their parents, what are their grandparents teaching them? Why is this okay? And I happen to believe that there, there are not uh, severe enough consequences. Going back to the uh, story we talked about yesterday in, in Philly, those young girls had, had you know, been, um, you know, um, exercising or, or showing that type of behavior, that type of racist behavior, and nothing uh, has ever really been addressed. And I see that being the problem. Yeah. Um, you know, somebody somewhere is, is lacking um, um, consequences. Yeah. I th severe consequences. I think you're right. There, there are not enough severe consequences. Yeah. And, and I remember delivering morning announcements uh, mm -hmm. in, in middle school. And I remember leading, you mm -hmm. know, Black History Month programs, mm -hmm. Black History Month assemblies. And I really just hope for all of our, our soulmates, our student soulmates out there that you don't allow these, this kind of news to break your spirit, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that you keep your, your head held high. 
uh, because we have a lot to be proud of. And the fact that, that our history is still so intimidating, mm -hmm. to your point, to the next generation you know, of folks in our schools, uh, is disturbing, but um, you know we've got to press on. You know, and I and I know I know that that's what this these these situations in these stores are calling for us to do. But to be very honest, you know, culturally speaking, it's tiring, and it's like stop, like come on, y'all, like yeah. really. I mean, years on top of years on top of years. Where's the breaking point? And so that's what you hear with me. That's what you feel with me. I'm tired. And I don't want the growing tired to turn into something that I wouldn't normally do as yeah. far as lashing out or, or stooping to their level. But you do, you do get tired. Yeah. You get tired. But I'm just so know? glad that these students in Alabama weren't tired and mm -hmm. that they channeled that energy in a constructive way. That's right. To organizing and protesting peacefully. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have a feeling this isn't the last we've heard yeah. of their efforts to, to, mm -hmm. to make sure that their history is a part right. of the curriculum uh, uh, because uh, a curriculum without it is not a curriculum that's yeah. good enough for our people. I'm going to need these folks to get the point very soon. Get the point. All right, here we go. Students in the city of Baltimore are facing some pretty hard challenges based off the latest test scores. The results are absolutely shocking as mostly all students are not performing at grade level in math. Now, the Maryland State Department of Education recently released the 2022 state test results known as MCAP. That's Maryland Comprehensive Assessment Program. Baltimore City's math scores were the lowest in the state. Just 7% of third through eighth graders tested proficient in math, math which means 93% could not do math at their respective grade level. Very alarming, uh, especially since, you you know, we preach STEM uh, and, and moving our young people in that direction because that, you know, is, is what the future is. And we know that the future is now very disturbing test scores. Again, you know, what are we as adults, um, school officials, teachers, parents, counselors, you know, where does the buck stop? Where does the buck stop? Well, I think you're right. And there was a Baltimore resident that made headlines back in uh, January 2022 when mm -hmm. they filed a lawsuit against Baltimore City Schools where they essentially said we're not living up to our potential. Uh, and they went on to say that uh, when they filed this lawsuit mm -hmm. uh, that the district was failing to educate students and in the process misusing taxpayer funds. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, we the taxpayers are funding our own demise. Uh, I think uh, there is truth uh, to that, and you know, they Maryland just elected Wes Moore as their new governor. He's got his job cut out for him. Yes, he does. Um, but you know, this will be a measure of success. To what degree is this governor, in in concert with school officials and you know, with the mayor of Baltimore, going to work to turn this around? It's not going to happen overnight. But to your point, math scores. Mm -hmm. Uh, math scores, math education is so critical, you know, if if our young people are going to have a shot at the jobs of the future in tech, mm -hmm. you know, the jobs, you know, uh, of the future uh, in uh, the in, in an economy uh, that will pass them by if we don't figure this well, out. Well, we just talked about how millions of young people have not returned to school uh, after the pandemic. But, you know, for the ones who have returned to traditional education, uh, they are still being failed, uh, obviously, when you look at uh, results such as this so a big fix uh, no matter what side uh, you are on so we'll look forward to uh, some solution-based uh, conversation well speaking of solution-based conversation a new bill in the state legislature uh, would clear the way for cannabis catering at private events mm. 
The proposal would allow cannabis companies to obtain catering licenses and offer those services at private events. However, it does have some restrictions like controlling the area where the cannabis will be used and would have to be restricted to those 21 years old and over. Also, the caterer would not be allowed to provide alcohol services. This is all <laughs> happening back in my home state of California. What's going on in Cali? Well, I mean, look, listen, um, you know, I think there's just been this movement to, you know, make cannabis a part of our everyday, whether you partake or not. I'm not a partaker, but there are, you know, friends and family who do. I've been in social settings where that is pretty much the norm. And, I, you know, I just think it's, it's one of those things where as a society, we have to continue to shift. I I can clearly remember as a kid when it was okay to smoke any and every. I remember you could smoke on an airplane. Now, you know, think about how that ship had to happen and pretty much if you smoke, you can't light up pretty much anywhere. You have to walk a thousand feet, uh, feet from a building just to light up a cigarette. So I think we're headed in that direction. Uh, I just think because for so long, you know, cannabis was, was considered weed, uh, wrong, hush-hush drugs. I think it's taken a minute uh, for people to flip, but I think we'll eventually get there and it'll just be normal every day as we see with uh, reports like this where they're about to cater to, to folks yeah, yeah. needs and, <laughs> and, and and it's going to be a huge boon to the economy mm. and, and and so we want to make sure that you know while so many uh, of folks in our community were locked up you know for mm -hmm. uh, possession of marijuana mm -hmm. uh, we want to make sure that our communities have the same access when it comes to you know sort of uh, legalizing and regulating you know and uh, being a part of this economic boon. And so it's quite a balancing act, to your point. We want to make sure that uh, we're creating opportunity on one hand, but on the other hand, we want to make sure that, you know, kids aren't getting access to, you know, cannabis gummies, um, you know, before they're of legal age. And we want to make sure that, that you know, people aren't mixing up their, uh, yeah. their weed gummies with, with their regular gummies. And then gummies. there's still a lot of debate as to what it does to brain cells. Yeah. And so I'm just, you know, I'm concerned about that as well. I know a lot of cadets, as in space cadets, <laughs> who are regular. So <laughs> let's not forget about that aspect, too. They just moonwalking. I guess so. <laughs> Moving right along here, Super Bowl Sunday is heating up as Rihanna prepares for her highly anticipated halftime show. The new mom and nine-time Grammy winner, winner promised a celebration of her greatest hits at a recent media preview. She said becoming a mom gave her the confidence to take on this big stage after seven years away from live performances. Uh, let's take a look at a recent media preview. It feels like it could have only been now. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I first got the call to do it again this year, it, it, I was like, you sure? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm three months postpartum. Like, should I be making major decisions like this right now? Like, I might regret this. But if, when you become a mom, there's something that just happens where you feel like you could take on the world. You can do anything. And the Super Bowl is one of the biggest stages in the world. So as scary as that was, because I haven't been on stage in seven years, there's something exhilarating about the challenge of it all. And it's important for, for me to do this this year. It's important for representation. It's important for my son to see that. The set list was the biggest challenge. That was the hardest, hardest part. Um, deciding how to maximize 13 minutes, but also 
celebrate. It, it, that's what this show is going to be. It's going to be a celebration of my catalog in, in the best way that we could have put it together. And you only have 13 minutes. That's the challenge. So you're trying to cram 17 years of work into 13 <laughs> minutes. So it's, it's difficult. But we, you know, some songs we had to lose because of that. And, and, and that's going to be okay. But I think we did a pretty good job at narrowing it down. Oh, girl, you know you got this. And I remember that was a, a no period back when they first asked her. So it was good to hear her process to this yes. And the performance will be sponsored by Apple Music, replacing Pepsi after 10 years. We got you, Riri. Also in Riri news, Rihanna is also <laughs> dominating the soundtrack for the Philadelphia Eagles as they prepare for Super Bowl 57. The team took to TikTok to share their favorite Rihanna tracks with fans with Umbrella coming out as the most popular pick. Running back Boston Scott <laughs> impressed fans with his rendition of Get four or five seconds. The Eagles will take on the Kansas City Chiefs this Sunday in Glendale, Arizona, marking the Eagles' second Super Bowl appearance in six seasons and the Chiefs' third in four seasons. What's your favorite Rihanna song? Um, I did I did like the umbrella, Ella, Ella, and then moving on in her catalog that you needed me. You needed me. Right. And of course, you better have my money. Come oh. on, like. Better have your what? My money. Who better have your money? You better have my money. Don't be trying to get me you know, fine up in here. Yours? Uh, you got a collection of favorite Riri? Shine bright like a diamond. Yeah, that's a good one. Right? That's a good one. That's a great, that's a great pick me up. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, what Rihanna song don't we like? That's got to be awfully difficult, going back to the, that clip, you know, to, yeah. to take, like she said, almost 20 years of music yeah. and narrow that down to two, uh, 13 minutes. That takes a strong you know, uh, music director and, and folks uh, in support of, of trying to put that performance together. I know she'll come with it. I love that, you know, now she says, hey, you know, making a mom has shifted me mm -hmm. and that kind of helped bring her to this yes, because like I said, she was like, uh, no, that first time they asked her a few years ago and it was like a, a hard no. Yeah. But um, folks are excited. It's been a while since she's been on the scene, musically speaking, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, everybody, that's a lot of pressure though, too. And, Ooh, and I a lot really, of pressure, I, also I think. I also really appreciate that, that she recognizes that her appearance is critical for representation. Mm -hmm. You might remember when Colin Kaepernick essentially got blackballed from the NFL for taking a knee, Rihanna was one of the people that mm -hmm. sort of spoke up for him mm -hmm. and supported him. And so, which is why you know, she gave them a no at first. Right. A so, lot of that so it's not why. like she, no, she forgot. She, she knows, mm -hmm. you know, where she's at and she's clear who her audience mm -hmm. is, you know, and I also just appreciate that she's, you know, also going to make this a celebration, a celebration mm -hmm. of, of her catalog that and we love so much. Let's keep it real. You know, she might be ready for a musical comeback and, and, and this is the, the biggest stage in the world. So why not at this point say, OK, I'm going to do it. I wouldn't be surprised if new music dropped right after she sang her last note. Well, we know she's going on tour yeah, af after that, this. That's and so, my whole point. And so perhaps this is a preview. Look, Rihanna, we're going to be watching. All right, coming up, Boston is on the move, working to create their reparations task force. That's right, plus a major protest ahead of Sunday's big game. We'll tell you all about it when we return. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report.
Back home in San Francisco, Mayor London Breed gave her state of the city address while pledging to beef up police staffing, crack down on drugs, offer tax breaks to new businesses, and build more housing for essential workers like bus drivers. Okay, hometown. Breed also told a room filled with cheering supporters this week that she will seek an extra $25 million for overworked police, improve the city's permitting process so small businesses can more easily open and grow and remove barriers to building more housing. Breed said her San Francisco is one of resilient dreamers and talented reinventors who go on despite challenges such as rampant fentanyl crisis, shuttered businesses and learning loss among students and Nicordelai Corte I know this is right up right up seeing as though you're a native this <laughs> this speaks to you well you know I mean you know London Breed Mayor Breed is a native to San Francisco I grew mm -hmm. up in the Bay Area she grew up in San Francisco in public housing and she's the first black woman to be elected mayor she was elected in 2018 mm -hmm. following the sudden death of Mayor Ed Lee and you know she faces re-election next year and so a big part of what she's putting forward I think in the state of the city address you know is laying the groundwork for her re-election campaign mm -hmm. you know but raising a lot of eyebrows 25 million dollars more Mm -hmm. for the San Francisco Police Department for That's huge. overworked police officers? Like, you know, wh what does that even mean? Is it just officers? Is it staff? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've heard not just Mayor Bree, but we've heard a lot of mayors across the country talk mm -hmm. about wanting to invest more in uh, first responders that are part of mental health units, mm -hmm. right? And so how much of that $25 million is going to go to those first responders um, that should be responding to mental health crises, not cops with guns? You know what I would like? I would like, and I know there's like a mayor's conference where all the black mayors, they get together and they meet, but with all of these different cities that we often talk about here at Fox Souls Black Report facing a lot of the same challenges, if not the exact same challenges. I needed them, them to have a Zoom call like every week <laughs> and and chit chat, you know, have a light discussion about, you know, you know, problem solving. And like we just said earlier, solution based conversation, sharing ideas, because, you know, what's happening in San Francisco, I would love for that to happen here in Detroit, Chicago, Philly, Jackson, Mississippi, Mississippi, all of these uh, heavy, um, you know, black cities um, to really be able to tap into, you know, the genius of, of what uh, these black mayors, especially the newer black mayors, the younger black mayors uh, are trying to bring to their city. I need them to get together a lot more than yeah. maybe a yearly conference. They all need to Zoom each other, text <laughs> all day, every day, seriously, well, as they come up with these ideas well, for their individual cities. Well, we know the U.S. Conference of Mayors gets together, you know, I think spring, summer and Not fall enough. of every year. Year, but the African American Mayors Association uh, was actually founded to do exactly what you're saying. And so hopefully at some okay, point, maybe well, we can have African American Mayors Association to help break it down. No, they need a, a group text. All of them need to be on a group text. And every day, when, especially when they have announcements like this, yo, this is what I'm doing. What you going to do? Maybe they, I'm serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know what else is serious? What? What's happening in Boston? Okay. The city of Boston is appointing 10 members to its newly formed reparations task force. The announcement follows a formal apology issued uh, in June 2022 for Boston's role in the transatlantic slave trade and a unanimous city council decision to create a commission to work on reparation recommendations. The task force's job is not to detail the logistics or timeline for reparations payments, but is instead focused on discovering 
what the amount of debt is and, and the extent of the harm done to Boston's communities of color. Now, the task force will be chaired by attorney Joseph Fester, Jr. He is the former president of the Boston chapter of the NAACP. Okay, so let's focus back on talk, chat, conversation coming out of uh, this weekend's big game with the Chiefs playing in the Super Bowl 57. There's a coalition, a coalition rather, of Native American groups that are asking the team to yet again abandon its name, logo, and the fan-driven Tomahawk Chop. Now, the KC Metro-based indigenous activist group called Not In Our Honor joined several tribes from Arizona to get their message out. Now, the Chiefs organization has made efforts to address the concerns, but will not alter the name or logo. And that chop, um, they say that happens during the game, that might not go away either. I mean, at, at the least, do we really got to keep the Tomahawk Chop? You know, I mean, this is a very. I think at this point, for those fans, it's become it's become like a, you know, a, a tradition, and then you know, it's it's that it's how they get hyped in the in the stadium. And I'm just I'm just I, listen. I just want to summon the ancestor, Dr. Maya Angelou, <laughs> who said that when you know better, you do better. You do better, mm -hmm. right? And so I understand that you know there's a history of doing the tomahawk chop, there's a history of being called the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, at what point do we evolve and say, you know what, you know, especially in this climate, you mm -hmm. know, where there are a lot of communities that are, that are feeling uh, like they don't belong, they're feeling disrespected, you know, that, that are feeling that uh, the issues uh, that they have just get folded into the so-called woke agenda, right? You know, Native American communities have a legitimate uh, concern. And by the way, the Kansas City Chiefs, that's not the only team. Remember yeah. the Washington Commanders? Well, they weren't always the Washington Commanders. They were called Redskins. the Washington Redskins. Yeah. But I think what you have here is... Yeah, we hear you, but this is tradition. We've always been called this, the tomahawk. So you have that over branding, and then okay, the ancestry is over here. And I think you know, fan, some fans and 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 the Chiefs organizations and other NFL teams who have these type of names um, feel that that's separate, and which is why you have the Chiefs organization saying no changes are going to happen. I think uh, the Washington Commanders saw differently, but they really had to be forced into that you know th those organizations in that in that area did not let up and and that change uh, came about but i really feel that they feel that that's really separate and one has nothing to do with the other and it's tradition and it's branding and it's what it's been and it's what it's going to stay i'm not saying it's right mm -hmm. disrespectful in regards to what these people are asking in regards to their ancestry and the honor and so on and so forth but that's how i feel like these people are processing it well if we have evolved from being called colored to Negro to black to African-American to now back black again, mm -hmm. right? Black and proud. Mm -hmm. uh, then it's possible for uh, folks to evolve on, you know, the very question that Native American communities are putting forward. And mm -hmm. so it doesn't happen overnight, uh, but it is possible. And mm -hmm. I'm going to channel Jesse Jackson, Reverend Jesse Jackson, in keeping yeah, hope alive. But I, I, I use evolve very loosely because you know I think we're still all over the place as to what we call ourselves and what we allow or what other people get away with calling us and other indigenous people. So I don't we could know. do a whole another segment yeah, on that. Yeah, we sure can. Okay, but we're going to move <laughs> on uh, this to this year's Super Bowl commercials that are costing corporations a pretty penny. Businesses from Netflix to Google have spent close to $7 million each on ads, Whoa. premiering during Sunday's Big 
the game. The 30-second and some 90-second ads capturing the attention of an estimated 100 million viewers every year. Some of Black Hollywood's elite will be making uh, appearances in some of these ads, including comedian Kevin Hart, who's a spokesperson for the sports gambling outlet DraftKings. Uh, sources say rapper Ludacris will be featured in the commercial as well. And uh, NBA star uh, Giannis um, Atete Kumbo. I hope I got that right. <laughs> yeah, that'll uh, work. And that'll singer work. rapper Doja Cat will be making an appearance promoting the Pixel Photo editing tool Magic Eraser in an ad for Google. Now, while waiting for Rihanna's performance, other brands will be bringing out the big stars for their ads. Tennis star Serena Williams being mm. among them, showing off her golf skills in an ad for the beer brand Michelob. Listen, Ultra. listen, listen. It's always been a big to-do, these Super Bowl commercials. And over the year, the price tag has gotten so hefty. But in my opinion, the last few years, the, the commercials just haven't been as impactful. They they haven't, they just haven't had a wow factor. And I'm about to be 52 next week. So I can remember, I think the biggest, the biggest Super Bowl ad, and I could be wrong, but I remember the biggest Super Bowl ad as far as an impact was with a no-name granny. Uh, 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 and I don't know what her name was, and she's gone on to be with her ancestors. Wendy's Where's the Beef. That was that was the biggest Super Bowl ad ever. I'm sure there are some that might be able to, you know, you know, come come right there. But that Where's the Where's the Beef thing was huge. And I just don't think these Super Bowl commercials of today have that sort of impact. Yet they're still charging all that money. So God bless them. You don't remember that was in the 80s. You don't yeah. remember Where's the Beef. Do I don't I don't remember Where's the Beef, but I do remember like Bo Jackson. Remember Bo Jackson? He had some pretty good Super Bowl ads. It wasn't bigger than Where's the Beef. Oh, where's okay. the Beef was huge. Huge. Okay. Well, you know, this is a big deal because black quarterbacks, they matter. Mm -hmm. And Sunday Super Bowl will be the first time that two black quarterbacks, Philadelphia Eagles, Jalen Hurts, right. and Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Patrick uh, Mahomes, Mahomes mm -hmm. uh, they're going to be battling it out on the field. And so I think that's a big part of the reason mm -hmm. why a lot of these companies are ponying up upwards of $7 million for an ad because, mm -hmm. you know, they want to make themselves look good. They want to meet the moment. This is a big moment uh, for the NFL, and I don't think they want to miss it. And so well, I don't always are, trust they the are marketing. Breaking out, they are breaking mm -hmm. out all the stops, yeah. you know, to have, have, you know, black Hollywood, black elite show thing. up and here's, show out. You can have as much black Hollywood in these spots or cast in these spots, but if there's no black folks in the, in the advertising room, in the marketing rooms who are Ooh, laying out, facts. you know, the, the, the scripts for these, you know, then then how are they going to hit? You know, where where's the where's the target? You got to have us in the room before it gets into production and so on. And that so forth. is a really good point. Yeah. It's interesting. So all these ads that were cut. Maybe we should talk about that's, this on Monday. That's why you all end up these looking like all these huh? ads that were cut. How many of these ads, you know, were were had creative direction by black advertising companies, Agents, yeah, or, right? Or, employees. I'm that's just saying. That's where I'm at with it. That's very important. That's why you be looking like, what was that? Be black in front of the camera and behind the camera. Mm -hmm. Up next, Forever Flotus, Michelle Obama is working on a new project she that you do not down, yeah. want to miss. Yeah, we'll tell you all about it. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Hey, Soulmates, we're just about back to another weekend. We appreciate you. If you're just joining us, let's tap back into today's top stories. We go to Alabama where students at Hillcrest High School in Tuscaloosa 
County are coming together to protest their school's controversial Black History Month program. Students say the administration is refusing to teach key parts of black history, uh, just like the uh, or, or like the civil rights movement and slavery. They claim that the school refused to allow a student run black history program to teach historical moments that occurred before the 70s. That includes slavery, civil rights movement and the Black Panthers. Hundreds of Hillcrest High Schoolers protested outside of the school grounds demanding for the topics to be covered in those courses. Uh, to Ohio now, where a Bexley Middle School teacher was placed on administrative leave after a racist image appeared behind two students reading morning announcements. Now, according to the school district, the image appeared on a green screen behind the two student anchors. It showed an orangutan eating a watermelon immediately after a historical fact was read about Black History Month. The video announcements are recorded before they are shown. The district did not say if anyone watched the video before it aired. The teacher who supervises the morning announcements was put on leave. A letter was sent to uh, the families of those students after the incident apologizing to families. That doesn't sound like enough to me. Here we go. Students in the city of Baltimore are facing some pretty hard challenges based off the latest test scores. The results are absolutely shocking as mostly all you heard me. Mostly all students are not performing at grade level in math. The Maryland State Department of Education recently released the 2022 state test results known as MCAP. That stands for Maryland Comprehensive Assessment Program. Baltimore City's math scores were the lowest in the state. Just 7% of third through eighth graders tested proficient in math, which means 93% could not do math at their respective grade level. And lastly here, a new bill in the uh, state legislator legislature would clear the way for cannabis catering at private events. Now the proposal would allow cannabis companies to obtain catering licenses and offer those services at private events. However, it does have some restrictions like controlling the area where the cannabis will be used and would have to be restricted to those 21 and up. Also, the caterer would not be allowed to provide alcohol services. We're going to go back over to Nikortalai at the desk. Thank you, Courtney. Now off to the world of former First Lady Michelle Obama. She's launching an eight episode podcast inspired by her memoir, The Light We Carry. The show will be called Michelle Obama, The Light Podcast and will feature candid discussions Obama had with a collective of influential individuals in the realm of entertainment along her book tour among them set to join obama are uh, tyler perry uh, hoda from the today show oprah winfrey david letterman ellen degeneres conan o'brien gail king and others the podcast is being created under the obama's production imprint higher ground and the company audible the show is scheduled to start march 7th wow that's an a plus plus list. My goodness, look forward to that. All right, former NFL quarterback, you remember Brett Favre, who remains involved in the largest welfare fraud scandal in Mississippi state history, has filed three separate defamation lawsuits against state auditor Chad White, as well as national sports commentator Shannon Sharp and Pat uh, McCaff. 
uh, McAfee. Uh, Favre's lawsuit against White, whose office first discovered the fraudulent spending that ultimately led to criminal charges against six people, accuses White of, quote, shamelessly and falsely attacking Favre's good name to advance his political career. Favre's lawsuit against Shannon Sharp alleges that he defamed Favre on his Fox Sports 1 undisputed show by saying Favre was, quote, sorry, a sorry mofo to steal from the lowest of the low and that Favre stole money from people that really needed that money. As of now, Favre has not been criminally charged. And I just remember the outrage because I want to say that Favre case came out at the same time that um, maybe I, uh, Irving was being um, uh, attacked in some kind of way. Kyrie Irving. Yeah. yeah. And there was more attention to that. And they were kind of, you know, kind of throwing this Brett Favre thing under the rug. Um, and uh, it definitely uh, showed some, some favoritism towards uh, Favre and his good name that um, he really didn't get raked over the coals with the accusations. You know, I know, you know, everybody uh, is supposed to have due process, but just the accusations alone and some of the proof that had came out with the breaking of the story, um, you didn't see people grab hold to it like they like they were raking uh, Irvin over the coals for whatever he was doing at that time. I remember those stories being pretty much parallel. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember there being, I think there were text messages or mm -hmm. transcripts of some conversation mm -hmm that he had with uh, the then uh, uh, governor of, of Mississippi. Mm -hmm. um, and this is the deal. At, at the very best, it's murky, hmm. right? Um, it doesn't appear that Brett Favre's hands were completely clean. And it also doesn't appear, you know, that the commentators, you know, were unfair in their, their criticism based upon the information that was in the public realm mm -hmm. at that time. I am not a lawyer. Uh, and so I will leave it up to all the legal experts to, you know, make heads or tails as to whether or not, uh, you know, this, uh, uh, this, this lawsuit mm -hmm. um, uh, is uh, plausible, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you know, you would think that Brett Favre would spend his time and energy and use his name and likeness, um, you know, to to do more for the people of Make Mississippi, to, mm -hmm. to to win folks over, you know, and and to prove that that he wasn't the you know mofo, you know, uh, that uh, uh, that uh, uh, one of the commentators sort of referred to him as because it appeared as if. He was profiting off of, uh, you know, poor people uh, mm -hmm. in Mississippi at a time where they really needed support well, what he needed from the to state do government. Was uh, sashay his behind to Jackson and help pass out water, uh, you know, just to make good, you know, uh, especially if you say you're innocent, but you, you, like you say, the the, the waters are murky, and to sort of kind of, you know push yourself past that, you know, go hand out some water, go purchase some water, go sit down in, in those Senate chambers or those city chambers uh, or county chambers or wherever they talk and discuss about cleaning up this water yeah. uh, debacle. Be uh, front and center with yeah. it. That's how he could help. And I think you're right. I think you raise a really important point. You know, let's not act like what's happening in Jackson, Mississippi is is a-okay, mm -hmm. right? Folks are still struggling. Folks are still getting brown water. They still get mm -hmm. uh, boil water notices in Jackson. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised because I, I, I thought, you know, Brett Favre and his team 
uh, in an effort to sort of rehab, you know, his his image. You think that that would be uh, first and that, that, that they would focus on what they can do to make mm -hmm. people's lives better, as opposed to, yeah. you know, retribution. Yeah. You know, you take uh, at that least defamation energy and you you go to Jackson and you help these people out. That's how you rebound. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of help, one nonprofit is making sure that leftover food at the Super Bowl will not go to waste. The Food Recovery Network will be on hand at the Super Bowl to collect leftovers to donate to those in need. The organization will coordinate rescuing the leftover food so it won't go to waste. They will ensure that the collected food will be donated uh, to those in need. Uh, this will be the third year that the Food Recovery Network will be on hand to combat the loss of food that can be donated to those who need it. The nonprofit organization has been around since 2011 when it was started to fight food waste on college campuses. And, you know, what a very unique uh, way to spend, to spend one's time. I would imagine uh, there's a lot of leftover food following the Super Bowl, but I'm just a little unclear as to how are they going to donate this to other folks? Exactly. Listen, how exactly does this happen? This is this is my little concern here, my red flag here. It's uh -huh. kind of on the same lines. I, I think it's great. You know, the Super Bowl is a big event, but how about applying this sort of kind of effort to every day? Um, you know, there are bakeries and grocery stores and restaurants who, by the end of the day, food has not been used. It's still good. I'm kind of confused on, you know, when you hear um, uh, policy not, not allowing people to donate leftovers, why is this okay in this particular situation? Because I've heard that, where, oh, you know, we, we got to throw it away um, because, you know, we're not, by law, we're not allowed to. Okay, so how does that shift for this particular event, and why can't those rules Rules apply to every day uh, so you know these folks can use their leftovers to feed uh, you know the hungry uh, we know those stats are still off the charts here in America which doesn't make sense to me um, so I'm a little I'm a, a great effort but I'm a little confused why this can't be something ongoing every day you know and the whole idea you know the dumpster divers movement and so on and so forth they don't even have to dive just provide a way for the people to have the leftover food that's not used after the day is done or whatever the case or the shift is over whatever the case may yeah, be yeah i think you make yeah. all good points yeah. yeah. All right. On February 10th, 1964, as you can see, we're getting into some black history here. The United States House of Representatives passed the Civil Rights Act of 1964 after 70 days of debate. The act made discrimination illegal on the basis of race, color, religion, national origin and sex in public accommodations, employment and programs that are federally funded. A substitute bill of this major piece of civil rights legislation was finally approved on June 19, 1964 by the United States Senate after a 50-day filibuster organized by senators from the South. A very big piece of legislation. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't be standing here without that legislation. And so That's right. uh, we appreciate that. We stand on those shoulders. Mm -hmm. When we return, we're talking everything Super Bowl 57 mm -hmm. for what this year's game means for yeah. black Americans. It's huge. Fox's own Guy Lambert, good buddy of mine, will join us to discuss this year's big game. Stay close. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report.
Welcome back. A lot's happening uh, this week. This is like the Black Bowl 57. Autumn Lockwood makes history as the first black female coach in Super Bowl 57 with the Philadelphia Eagles. That's she right. I'm she sorry. No, that's right. She mm -hmm. becomes the fourth woman overall to coach in the championship game with a background in strength and conditioning. Now, she also holds a Bachelor of Science in Criminal Justice and a Master's in Sports Management and has previously worked with various athletic teams. The NFL continues its push for diversity with other notable black women in the Super Bowl, including the first black female agent mm. representing an NFL quarterback. Now, the NFL's efforts come after the Colin Kaepernick controversy in 2016 with a mission to bring change. Indeed. Now, the recent NFL season has seen progress in diversity and representation with the signing of two black quarterbacks, the first African-American woman coaching in the Super Bowl we just spoke on, and of course, DeMar Hamlin's acceptance of the uh, NFLPA's Allen Page Award. Yep, but despite these advances, there are no black owners in the NFL. Fox 5's Guy Lambert joins us to discuss these developments and what to expect in the future. Welcome to Fox Soul's Black Report, Guy. Hey, I gotta tell you, I'm really excited to be here with you guys. Picking up uh, uh, all black magic. <laughs> you gotta hide five her. That's right. That's right. That's right. And so, Guy, can you can you talk about the significance of the signing of two black quarterbacks in the NFL? I remember a time where black quarterbacks were rare if they existed at all. And yep. here we are in the Super Bowl with a whole two. Yeah, One, you know, two. we're speaking about the Super Bowl, but there are so many stories that go along. Chris hit the nail right on the head. Of course, the two African-American players, quarterbacks, the main guy. To understand the history of where we were and we have come is truly dynamic. Over 103 years professional football has been around in fashion. 1920, guys, it was 1920 where the first African-American NFL quarterback played. African-American. Did I say that? His name, Fritz Pollard. You know you got to be a bad man with jamma if your name is Fritz. Mm -hmm, <laughs> so, mm -hmm. around about a year or so, it was then at the time the Washington uh, Commanders, or we call them that now, but the owner of that team said, you know what? There's no white Harlem Globetrotters, so there's going to be no black NFL players. You believe that? They snatched them. Fast forward to now, to 2023, and for the first time this year, ladies and gentlemen, we had 23 African-American quarterbacks who played at least one down in the NFL. That's a record. And now we got the Super Bowl where two African-American quarterbacks are going head to head. I mean, this is just huge. Yeah, it is huge guy. And and not only the two quarterbacks, but we just highlighted uh, the young lady who will be the first African-American woman coaching in the Super Bowl. Um, what do you think this means uh, for the N uh, NFL and the future of females uh, in the coaching ranks in an, in an all, you know, an all male game? Yeah, it, this is just so cool. You know, I, I heard you all talking about Autumn Lockwood, but what folks don't understand or what they need to understand is she's not just a figurehead, guys. You know, they didn't just say, hey, we want an African-American woman to be here just so that we could look good. That's not the case. She is a performance coach. And I got to tell you, when you look at the record, when you look at the history this year of all the teams that excel within performing, uh, we're talking about players remaining healthy. That's the definition of that job. You got to keep, keep, keep them healthy. And she is near the top. And so it shows that, you know, despite her being a woman, despite her being African-American, despite facing all the challenges that she probably faced year in and year out, she did her job very well. And for that, she should once again be congratulated. I, I'm telling you, when you all were talking about it, I, I just wanted to say black girl magic all the way because that's what it truly <laughs> is.
Indeed, indeed. So, Guy, tell us, despite the small advances that we've seen in the NFL, and I want to, you know, double-click on small, uh, why do you think that there are still no black owners mm. in the league? It's great that we're celebrating Rihanna. We're celebrating, you know, black coaches, black quarterbacks. Black agents. But, but, but black agents. But we know that black ownership matters. It matters in every other realm of our of our economy and community, but we still haven't been able to crack that nut in the NFL. Well, I got some bad news for you. It ain't gonna happen anytime soon, guys. But we're talking about 32 NFL owners. And we, you know, once again, what you gotta understand is that it's a good old boys club. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Uh, they are the ones in essence that make the decision who gets the chance to play in the sandbox and who gets kicked out. And so if you have folks that don't look like you, that you're not familiar with, that perhaps don't come from the same background you're from, uh, you're not necessarily as, uh, well, shall I say, as willing to let someone else come in and, and play the game with you. Uh, if anything, we know that they've implemented the Rooney rule uh, with regard to coaches, you know, meaning that uh, no matter what position they're looking for, you have to at least interview uh, one minority African-American coach in order to possibly get that job. Well, guess what? I think they should have the same rule when it comes to NFL or potential NFL owners, mm -hmm. because it's evident that if you let the good old boys just continue to hang around, we're not going to get an opportunity to really play in that sandbox as well. Yeah, ownership and coaching. Those two areas we got to keep on top of. Uh, give us a little insight. I saw it last night. He made a surprise appearance, NFL honors. Everybody was brought to tears. Give us a little insight into DeMar Hamlin's acceptance of the NFL Players Association's Alan Page Award. Your thoughts on that guy? Yeah, you know, when it comes to the NFL, let's just be real, guys. You know, for the past couple of years, there has been a black eye, uh, you know, really associated, aligned with the NFL. This is a feel-good story, mm -hmm. and it's a feel-good story in so many ways. Just forget the NFL. We're talking about sports. We're talking about humanity. And, and we saw what happened when he flatlined, not once, but twice. Picture that. Yeah. Uh, we all came together as a community. We all really prayed for this gentleman, mm -hmm. and we wished him the best. God really does come through. And he yeah, came through in a major yeah. way. Last night, we got a chance to see him on stage. Not only him, and when I applaud the NFL for is really recognizing the first responders uh, that, that mm. you know, jumped into action and, and really saved his life. Uh, he deserved the award. He got the award. But so did they. And kudos, finally, going out to the NFL for doing something right and really making sure we recognize those that make a difference. Hey, Guy, what, what should we expect to see in the future uh, from the NFL in terms of diversity, equity, inclusion. We certainly have reported on a number of stories where, you know, companies in tech, for example, are sort of stepping back their commitments. Mm -hmm. Companies in so many other industries are stepping back their commitments along with these sort of mass layoffs. Um, obviously, uh, the NFL is sort of, you know, putting a bet on black uh, <laughs> with this particular Super Bowl, you know, but uh, we, we can't make heads or tails out of, you know, what the future looks like. And so what can we expect from the NFL on the DEI front in the future? I think it's going to be slow. I mean, it's going to happen. You know, you heard me make mention earlier, it ain't going to happen anytime soon, but it, it, it will. And, and it's we're making progress. And that's the thing, you know, zero owners, 10 percent uh, general managers right now. The NFL overall is 70 percent African-American. Did you hear that? 70 percent mm. African-American. Yet We have no representation. It has been brought to the forefront. It is now evident. And that's something that they're going to have to continue to address. Uh, another thing, you know, I think about the, uh, the the progression of the game and where it's going to go. Uh, quite honestly, it's a gladiator. It's our version of the gladiators. I mean, it is uh, proven time and time again that uh, a lot of players end up with CTE as a result mm -hmm. of playing. Mm -hmm. Credit Russell Wilson. 
Russell Wilson was the guy that came to the commissioner and said, you know what, let's try to change the narrative, if you will, change the game slightly, and let's focus on flag football. You saw that take place in the All-Star game this year. I expect that will probably happen over the next several years, if not decades as well. The game will change, as will our role in that game as well. Indeed. Guy Lambert, uh, already a part of the, the, the family. Now you're an official soulmate. You, you and I go way back. Next time I'm in D.C., we got to break bread. You know, I love you to pieces. Uh, we appreciate you and your time today. And uh, best wishes with your uh, coverage uh, this weekend of Super Bowl 57. Awesome. Chili Bowl. Ben's Chili Bowl on me, Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this guy lives in D.C. too, so the three of us got to get do, together. I do, I do, I do. My new Instagram connection. There we go. There we go. Thanks so much, Guy. Travel safe. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, it's Black Excellence time. That's right. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Come on back. All right, soulmates, Buffalo Bills player DeMar Hamlin is joining forces with the American Heart Association to launch a campaign to increase CPR awareness and education. Mm -hmm. The 24-year-old received life-saving CPR on the field after suffering cardiac arrest during a game in January. The third, I'm sorry, the Three Heart CPR Challenge, that's what it's called, the Three Heart CPR Challenge starts with step one, that's learning CPR. Step two, you donate to the American Heart Association to fund CPR awareness, and then step three, Three, uh, the challenge is for you to get your friends to do the same. Yeah, at least three friends to, mm -hmm. to do the same. Mm -hmm. Hamlin has made remarkable progress, and he was discharged from a Buffalo Medical Center on January 11th. And since then, he's made an appearance at the Bills' divisional round matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals. He had his first sit-down interview with Michael Strahan, and just last night made a surprise emotional appearance at the NFL Honors in Arizona. We love to see this. We've been following the story from the very, 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 very mm -hmm. beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a real life miracle that we're watching. And, you know, I just love that he's partnering with the American Heart Association. Um, I'm an American Heart alumni, and so uh, and it is your I know month. they work very well. It's heart, uh, heart uh, cardiovascular awareness month that's inside right. of February. That's right, we that's right. Go Red Day. Yeah, and we, so. and we know that our people are impacted by cardiovascular related issues disproportionately. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's just great to see him, you know, on the mend um, and, and still channeling that indomitable yeah. spirit into helping others. Yeah, I was checking out the uh, NFL honors uh, last night. He, like We talked a little earlier with uh, our guest Guy Lambert. He made a surprise uh, appearance. There were so many, you know, tears in the audience. Even these big, burry NFL players were kind of like brought to tears. Nobody expected it. Um, he, he's so humble. He, he just really thanked his front line, that being his trainer, uh, who administered the C CPR there on the field. Without him, he really feels that, you know, he wouldn't have a chance. Uh, for then, you know, for the rest of the, the medical staff to, to come to his aid, um, and his journey continues, and uh, we'll just see where he where he where he lands. I think, you know, he he's just a, like you say, a miracle, a walking testimony. That's right. And it was a, a, a amazing, amazing uh, moment last night as we uh, move our way to the big game. That yeah. was a big moment. Yeah, it was a very mm -hmm. big moment, and a big moment for the American Heart Association. Kudos to them for partnering with. Uh, Mr. Hamlin, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I know sometimes big organizations are a little slow yeah. uh, to respond, but uh, good to see them yeah. being relevant 
to uh, somebody who we look to in our community mm -hmm. as as a stunning example of what's possible. Any predictions for the game? You got who you got? Who you got? You know, I think the Eagles are going to pull it out. Come on. I think the I, Eagles I, are going to do it. You know what? It. Only because, you know, I like the Eagles better. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I'm excited about, you know, two uh, black men as quarterbacks, but that Eagles quarterback, he is super cute. Yes, you know what, but. Super cute. <laughs> <Ain't> Ladies, <laughs> super cute. Even if you're not into football, just watch it, because he's fine. I'm Courtney Hill. Have a great weekend. I'm the Cordelai Corte. Until next Go time, Eagles. stay lifted. <laughs> he's fine. <laughs>